what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. For organizations looking to enhance their customer relationships, this is Stepping Up Service. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson with the Jackson Group, a management consulting and survey services firm working with a variety of industries on employee and customer satisfaction surveys. With me is my co-host on the show, Stepping Up Service, is Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Alan? Doing fine. Doing just fine. So glad to have you here as always. I always enjoy this time when we can get together and talk about uh, the world of customer service. We talk about how to provide great customer service to your clients, to your coworkers, to vendors, uh, and how to create the kind of culture around that idea of service excellence. And Ed, this is what your company does quite a bit, almost all the time, actually, I guess. People can learn a little bit more about your business, Customer Service Solutions, at your website, cssamerica.com. So that's www.cssamerica.com. Great place to go and find out all the different ways and resources and tools for helping build a really strong customer service-based organization and culture. Now, Ed, when we get together on our show here on, on this podcast, and we do this about once a month or so, we get together, we always have a different topic to discuss. And then by the end of the show, we like to share kind of a customer service story or an example that we've run across since our last time of talking. It can either be a positive story or a negative story. So it's always kind of fun to wait and see at the end which one do we actually have to share on each side. Yes. Uh, sometimes we have those months where it's too positive. Sometimes it's too negatives. Sometimes we get ni- it's a nice balance between the two. Any, anything you want to tease about your story in advance or you want to wait and hold it for the end? Uh, I'll tease because I have a very different way of approaching the story this time. It's really almost like a, a mini tip at the end, but uh, it's partly story. It has to do with uh, flowers and people in your life and the Internet. Uh, so that, that those will be some of the components of the story. Ooh, I'm already very, very intrigued just by the <laughs> teaser you did there. So mine doesn't quite have as much to tease on, but uh, – Knowing that it is the winter time and we have had some winter storm activity, it has to do somewhat related to that. I'll just leave it okay. at that. So, I guess you could call mine a positive story, but we'll see how it ends up at the okay. end. Okay. So. So, so, as long as it doesn't uh, include anything about car accidents, we've had far too many of those discussions no, the last no few months. No car accident discussion this month. I will guarantee Excellent. you that it has nothing to do with any moving vehicle whatsoever. So, Good. Uh, this is all things within the home. So, we'll see where that goes. Okay, so Ed, let's talk about today's topic, and, and I'm really, as always, I love when you, when you give me ideas of the topics we can discuss, because you've got a lot of thoughts and opinions on these things, and when you mentioned the one today, this is just great dovetail into some other uh, podcasts we have on the Mesh Network regarding leadership, as we talk about this idea of a customer-centric leader, the idea yes. of what makes a true leader who is truly focused on the customer experience, Right. Right. That's exactly what we're talking about. And it seems like during a lot of our podcasts, we talk about great organizations and what they do to make their culture very customer oriented, what they do to make their experiences wonderful or consistent. Uh, but today we're going to talk about some of the leaders of those companies and what are the qualities of those customer centric leaders. Wonderful. And I think you said we had maybe uh, three, three leaders we're going to talk about a little bit. Sure. We're going to talk about Mark Cuban, uh, Richard Branson, and Jeff Bezos. So it's Cuban and Branson and Bezos, oh my, uh, qualities of customer-centric leaders. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Perfect. That's great. Well, I can't wait to get in and start talking about these guys and find out what makes them such great customer-centric leaders as we'll get into that. Sure. Um, 
And just as a reminder to everybody listening, this is a show here on the TheMesh.TV where it's an ongoing podcast series. We have a, several podcast series available that you can listen to. These are free audio programs that you can go online and download or stream at any time you'd like. You can go to TheMesh.TV, and that's where we put all of our episodes for all of our shows up online. You've got shows ranging from music to film review to education to business and leadership. A lot of different categories and topics to get into. So we hope you go check out the website. You can actually go back in time and listen to all of our back episodes of this show, Stepping Up Service, as well. So, Ed, let's go ahead and jump right into our topic then, customer-centric leaders. And how do you want to proceed with this? You just want to jump right into that first one? Sure. Let's talk about the first customer-centric leader. And the first one may not be that intuitive, but it is Mark Cuban. And you you may know Mark Cuban from many different aspects of his business life. He, he is an entrepreneur. He uh, built a company, made a tremendous amount of money in the technology field. He became owner of the Dallas Mavericks. If you ever watch the uh, ABC show on Friday nights called Shark Tank, he's one of those entrepreneurs. Uh, but when I want to talk about some of his qualities, I'm going to hone in on three different qualities of him as a customer-centric leader. And first of all, he, uh, when he's talking sports, you know, his beloved Dallas Mavericks, he can almost talk endlessly about the fan experience. I mean, as an owner, he is the ultimate raving fan. He is not one of these owners that sits up uh, in his luxury suite in a three-piece suit and, and doesn't crack a smile. He's in his T-shirt, in his blue jeans, a couple rows behind the players, yelling, screaming, up and down. And this is a billionaire who who is the raving fan. He is the one who's kind of modeling how he wants the fans uh, to act. And, and even he's even talked about uh, these different types of uh, experiences uh, within the arena. And he, he talks about the fact that he kind of views the, the basketball game as a communal explosion of energy when something happens. It's almost like one of the few places on earth where you're allowed to yell out primal screams in, in front of other people when you're so excited. Uh, and he's even written at times that he he wants his Mavericks home games to me, more like a great wedding than anything else. I mean, there's a lot of happiness, a lot of movement, a lot of energy, these wow moments that everybody kind of explodes in laughter or explodes in joy. So uh, th- this really goes back to um, a point uh, that, that I made on last month's podcast, that you can make your company successful regardless of the product if you focus on the customer experience. I mean, regardless of what happens on the court, he is so focused on, on making that experience in that arena like a great wedding, like excitement, uh, you know, like uh, you have 15, 20,000 people who are fully engaged, fully emotional, fully participating at the same time. So that that's what he does. He is one of the raving fans that's out there. Uh, he, he is one of those folks who has clearly defined the kind of experience that he wants. And so those are two of the three qualities I'll mention uh, from him as, as a customer-centric leader. Now, now, the third point, you know, beyond raving fan and the kind of experience he wants, deals with technology. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But do you have any just brief reactions, Alan, to those first two points that the leader is actually a raving fan, the leader is actually defining the kind of experience he wants for his customers? Well, I think it makes perfect sense that he actually himself has to be a fan himself. He has to know what it is to have a great fan experience. I think there's too many situations where we see people who are leaders who are trying to craft a really good customer or fan experience. But if they're not down in the trenches actually experiencing it firsthand, they may not always know what it is a good experience ought to be. 
So the fact that he's there every game, he's in the trenches, he knows and he sees around him the energy level, I would imagine it makes it a lot easier for him to pick up and decide this is what we need to do as an organization to maintain this strong level of experience. You know, he's not guessing at it. He's getting it from experience. Right. And that's really interesting. When you, when you were given that example, it kind of reminds me of the TV show Undercover Boss and how you have these people in their lofty CEO perches and their, their corporate offices. And they go and they work with frontline staff at multiple retail centers, for example, and they come away with all these ahas because they're, they're so far removed from the reality of their employees dealing one-on-one with the customer that they don't really realize what that experience is like. And, and what Cuban does is he immerses himself uh, on a game-by-game basis with the fans, with the customer. So he, he never has to feel that disconnect. He just becomes part of the, the customers that he's serving. Yeah, I think it's a great example. And I think it really is something you can apply to any business environment, not just a a sports activity or some sort of public performance. I mean, if you get down in the trenches and see what the experience is for your customers, your fans, your, 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 your uh, coworkers, whatever it may be, it makes you much, much more acutely aware of what needs to happen to maintain the positive experience. Right. Now, now prior to moving on to the next person, I want to talk about one real interesting aspect of, uh, of Mark Cuban. And, and this is the third real quality we can learn from, but it all starts with this background of his in technology. And he is very focused on technology and how to use it and analytics and metrics and the fan experience. And he sometimes talks about this idea of the use of technology at an arena can actually take away from the experience. If people are looking down at their smartphone, their eyes are not up at the court. If they're looking down at their device, their eyes are not up looking at all the other fans, uh, all the other movement, all the other energy in the arena. So a lot of times people say, oh, you need to get uh, technology in the hands of all your customers when they're in the arena. You need to push all these sales and marketing messages to them while they're in the arena. But Alan, I know you're a big basketball fan. Yes. I mean, you're, you're uh, a, a business leader as well. G- give me some examples of what are some things that could go wrong if you are using technology uh, with your customers, if they are engaged with technology while they're engaged with a company or, or at an event like this, what could go wrong? Well, I think if, if you don't manage the use of technology, the technology could actually take, could actually like run away from you. It could, you lose a little control of it. You know, the minute yes. you start trying to get online experiences, and we've talked about this on some kind of uh, hazard situations for customer service where you may have an online profile or you may have some online activity you're encouraging, but if you're not watching it and managing it and actually interacting with it as a business, it could grow a life of its own and be very dangerous for you in the end. So I think there's that. I think, too, is uh, you don't want to distance them from the actual experience they're having and come across as too removed from the process either. So it's it's still keeping a human touch in, in there, even though finding a way to make technology benefit the situation. Yeah, that's a great example when you talk about the human touch and not wanting to take the focus away from the event in front of you. Because if you think about what you could push uh, through technology to a fan who's in an arena, if they are so focused on the technology when they're in the arena, at some point they're missing the benefit of being in the arena versus being in their living room. Yeah. If they are not experiencing and a part of the energy and seeing every 
uh, great event on the court or seeing what's going on in the stands, they might just look at that phone in their hand and all of a sudden they realize, you know, I can still look at this phone, but I can get this great image sitting in front of me in my living room. And at that point, when you get your customers who are in the arena, not really getting a sense of the value of the experience of being in the arena, that's when you start losing fans, that's when you start losing renewals on your season ticket holders. You have to make sure that that live experience is something that they can only get there when they're in the facility and, and they they're so clearly see the benefit of that versus uh, what the experience is like when they're sitting in their living room in front of the flat screen. Yeah, there's a role for technology in those places, just you gotta make sure it's managed to where people especially an experience like that. I mean, there's a fine line between deciding when it's worthwhile to go out to a Coliseum arena, pay big dollars to go see a game versus just watching it in the comfort of your living room. There's got to be a true experience there. And, and you, you know, you got to get them away from the screen a little bit more to truly enjoy that experience. I would imagine. Right. So, so the three main qualities to take away from Mark Cuban, number one, if you're a leader, become a raving fan of your own company. Don't distance yourself from those frontline customer interactions. Become a customer. Immerse yourself with your customers. The second is be very clear and articulate what is your definition of a great customer experience. I mean, it's very difficult for employees to deliver a great experience if you haven't intentionally defined what that looks like. And the third is, if you really want the customer to have a great experience, make sure they're engaged in that experience. Make sure that they're not focused on things that are peripheral to the experience. If they are, then they might not get the full benefit of that experience. They may not get the full value of that relationship with your organization. I mean, that makes perfectly good sense. And, uh, you know, you can just see when they show news clippings or anything with Mark Cuban at a basketball game, you know, you would never guess he was the owner of the team. Exactly. You would never guess that he was some high dollar executive that's making corporate decisions on a daily basis. He looks like the most ardent fan of that team you've ever seen. Right. Can you imagine what that must do for the rest of the fans around him as, you know, no matter how the team's doing to see that fan, that raving fan in front of them who's really focused on the fan experience, it's got to increase the experience for everybody else, regardless of how the team's performing. Yeah, because if the owner is acting this way, it is absolutely fine for me to yell and scream and cheer. Yes. You know, if the owner is passionate and emotional, it is fine for me to be passionate and emotional. If the owner is in T-shirt and blue jeans and he's a real person, wow, I can relate to this guy who is owning my team, I can relate to him on a personal level. And that's what attracts a lot of people to their organizations, to the players, to the, the those types of different businesses that they want to be affiliated with. It's being able to relate to the people in that organization. Absolutely. Great. Good. All right. So, yeah, Mark Cuban, I think that fits a great example of that customer-centric leader. Uh, so who do we have next? The next uh, person we have is Richard Branson, who's uh, yes. the Virgin Group founder. Yes. And I'm going to narrow the qualities and the, and the focus of this discussion on the one key point. It's a really, really interesting key point that he brought up when he was interviewed recently. Uh, he said, you know, most companies uh, look at their customer satisfaction and, and they're really uh, of the mindset that if I can make just a great first impression – that is the most important thing with my customers. Uh, you know, if I have a great initial contact, how I answer the phone and how I greet somebody and the eye contact and the body language and what I say and they have a need and I fulfill that need, that great first impression is, is what really matters. But Richard Branson talks a lot about 
the second impression. Huh. And when he's asked, well, what exactly do you mean by a second impression? He said, well, that second interaction with a customer is often after the initial interaction, the initial impression when something has gone wrong. Wow. You, you set an expectation, you said you would do something, you delivered a product, and then the client calls you back or you initiate a contact with the client back because something went wrong. And so he focuses strongly on the, those real relationships you develop or sometimes through the hard times with the customer, the, the real impression customers have of you is not when everything goes perfect, but how do you react when everything goes wrong? So, so Alan, when you think about business in general, you can think about your personal life, whether you're dealing with a contractor, you're you're ordering something at a restaurant, you're going to the, the home improvement store. I mean, granted, you're going there for a product or service or a project or something like that. But but what could actually go wrong in your interactions with different businesses? Oh, gosh, what what couldn't go wrong? I mean, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, rude staff, uh, an order of some sort, a service I'm trying to place an order for or something like that is just a, a mangled order and we get the wrong product back. We get the wrong service back. Uh, oh my gosh, this could be a, lit a litany list of things that could go wrong in any kind of customer experience like that going into a, a place of business. But let, you want you just to kind of focus in on one in particular? Sure. Feel yeah. Free. yeah. So let's say that um, I place an order for something of, of some sort of service and when it's actually delivered or provided back to me, it's a completely different and wrong, wrong item, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's a situation where you actually go on to some website and you're ordering that grill and sure. they send you this wonderful pair of lady shoes. Exactly. And uh, yes. yeah, something like that. The lady or, shoes come and say the grill. That sounds like yeah. a good example there. All right. <laughs> that, would, that would be a horror story for the end of our episode. That would be a little it? interesting. I, yes. I wouldn't know quite how that one would uh, have worked out, but um, yeah. So let's, let's assume that was the situation. Sure. Now, what Branson would say is most companies are so focused on we get the order. How do we process the order uh, in the telephone call that we have or that web experience? How do we make it a great experience? But, but what Branson would say is instead of focusing purely on that, we have to be very intentional, just as design oriented, just as training focused, just as responsive, just as continuous improvement oriented. Uh, when we assume that, hey, sometimes we're going to send the wrong order, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we're, we're going to ship out the wrong item or there is going to be that perception that we're rude, even though, you know, we train our people never to be rude. So the question is, in, in Richard Branson's mind, is when things don't go right, if we don't assume 100 percent perfection in our delivery, uh, what is that that plan for rectifying the issues? You know, that's actually a funny example. It wasn't a grill I bought, and it wasn't a grill I was returning, but it was something very similar at a hardware store locally. And, you know, I, I, I actually was thinking to myself how the experience I had buying the item in the first place was pretty good. The people I worked mm -hmm. with were very nice. The woman at the checkout counter, extremely pleasant and nice, and kind of had a little nice conversation with me about what I was buying and what I was planning on using it for. But then I found out that I got the wrong one, or actually what it was is I already had one. So I was going to go return what I bought. I hadn't actually opened it yet. So I had got sent to the returns counter and the returns counter was a completely opposite experience. It was, uh, you know, just somebody who you could tell that their whole job is I take things back from people and I issue them credits and that's all I have to do. So it really was the minimal amount of interaction I could get with somebody was with this person. It was just, I mean, kind of got a little of the impression I was interrupting her for some reason, even though she was just standing at the counter waiting. So that is a great example. You're right. I'm left with that second impression 
I kind of forgot a little bit about the first impression because it's further back in the past. Now I'm thinking about the most recent impression, which was not that great. So right. I can see where he's, he's saying you got to put more energy on that second impression. That makes good sense. And there was a study done years ago that focused on service recovery. When an issue occurs, how quickly do retail organizations respond and, and do they correct the issue? And the statistics showed that 82% of customers are willing to come back and buy from you again if you resolve the issue quickly. Okay. 54% are willing to come back if you resolved it, but it took you a while. Okay. 26% are willing to come back if they brought it to your attention, but you did not resolve it. And then only 9% are going to be willing to come back if it was a major issue and they were so fed up, they never even brought it to your attention. So in this case, there is a financial, a, a repurchase or a retention impact based on how quickly and how effectively you resolve those issues. You know, Ed, I'm actually kind of shocked that those percentages are that high for those last two categories. Mm. You know, the fact that even 20% of customers would, you, you mess up something and you don't resolve it, would still think about coming back to you. I, I think, I actually think that may even be high. I think that may be people being nice saying that. Yes. And I think you got to assume that it's going to be almost close to zero people are going to come back to you if you did not resolve their situation. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's obvious. I mean, as we talk about our stories, every time we get together on this recording every month, you know, the chances of us going back to somebody when they've messed up an order and didn't resolve it very professionally is very slim for, for people like us. So, uh, I think that's a, I love this idea of the second impression. It's just not a phrase you hear very often, but it makes perfect sense when you think about it. Right. So, and so instead of focusing purely on how to deliver a core service or answer a question about products, processes, policies, instead focus uh, as well on how you'll answer the question differently and deal with the customer differently when things have obviously gone wrong. Yeah, I like that a lot. That is great. So Richard Branson, that was his, his kind of thing, huh? I'd, yes, never heard the him second impression. I like that a yes. lot. That is great. Yeah. Well, listen, Ed, if it's okay, because I think we're about ready to move on to our third one. But before we do, let's uh, take a quick break. And what we're going to do is have a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the third customer-centric leader that Ed wants to discuss and share some examples from. And then we'll close out the show with our customer service story of the month to share with everybody. You're listening to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.TV. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan Jackson, and I'm with Ed Gagnon of Customer Service Solutions as we're talking about customer-centric leaders, three examples in particular and some of the traits that make them really interesting leaders to follow in looking how to build a very customer-centric culture in your organization. These guys are doing it the right way. We've already talked about Mark Cuban, and we talked about Richard Branson and some of the examples of ways that they create a customer-centric culture in their organization. We're going to get to our third one in just a moment, but just as a reminder, the Mesh.TV series of podcasts and online shows, you can go listen to it anytime. Visit us on TheMesh.TV. 
and go and uh, search for any of the back episodes on Stepping Up Service to hear a wide variety of topics that Ed and I have discussed over the last several years. We put out an episode of just about every month for the last uh, two or three years now, I guess. It's been quite a yes. nice, nice collection of episodes yes. people can listen to. And we hope it's been some good information sharing back to us on uh, 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 information we can share with you on how to really improve that customer service environment and culture within your organization. We always love to hear back from you. So if you've got some thoughts or ideas, feel free to drop us a note. You can go to themesh.tv and fill out the contact form. Or you can just drop an email to info at themesh.tv and let us know you've got a comment for the Stepping Up Service Show. So, Ed, let's get right back into our uh, discussion of the customer-centric leaders. You're about to mention our third one here for us. Sure. It's uh, actually Jeff Bezos from Amazon. And I'm going to go through four key points that he emphasizes over and over and over again relating to the great customer experience and customer service. And, And the first point of emphasis he makes Uh, often is that you have to understand your customer, not just hear them or listen to them, but you truly have to understand your customer. And that goes through research. It's monitoring their purchases, their activity, and applying those to those one-on-one moments of truth. I mean, when, when you think about understanding your customer, you're doing it because you don't want that customer to be a transaction. You want that customer to be somebody that becomes a long-term client, somebody you develop a relationship with. I mean, think about your spouse or, you know, some significant other. I mean, it's very difficult to picture yourself in a long-time relationship with a person to develop a long-time relationship if you spend the time trying to get to know them and understand who they are. Well, it's the same thing in business. It's very hard to, to really maintain a relationship for the long term if you really don't get to know them. So that first key point is when you think long-term and you're thinking retention, you you got to think, how can I develop a relationship and start that development of the relationship by best understanding my customer. And you know, Ed, that, that point may seem like a kind of a, a no brainer for maybe you and I and the kind of companies that we have mm-hmm. because our transactions and our interactions with the clients are very in depth. We're doing consulting, we're working on site with them, we're hand holding them through different processes. Sure. So knowing the clients kind of seems like second nature to us. That's so that's the way we always believe you, you manage a transaction. But I think and it may seem more more automatic for that, but then we're talking about even to the point of Amazon. I mean, Amazon as a company, they don't ever see their customers. Exactly. <laughs> These are online transactions where sometimes people are in the middle of the night are placing an order for bulk toilet paper or something. I mean, there's no telling, but yet you still have to know your customer in those situations as well. So that's why I think it's fascinating that of all the leaders we could be hearing this message from, we're hearing it from the person that runs Amazon where faceless <laughs> interactions are kind of the name of the game in a lot of their place, situations, you know? But it's still important to know yes. the customer. Yeah, it's important to know them. And the second point, it's important to respect them. And, and before getting into uh, what exactly he means by respect and, and why he's bringing that up, let me ask you a quick question, Alan. Sure. Uh, if you wanted to, today, uh, tell 6,000 people, 6,000 different individuals, something about the Jackson Group, how would you do it? Okay, reaching 6,000 people with a message about the Jackson Group. I mean, with online resources, there's, there's a couple of different ways to do it. But, I mean, maybe something on our Facebook page or maybe through an email blast. But using some sort of online resource to kind of get the word pushed out there pretty quick is what I would probably do to reach the largest audience the quickest way. 
Right. And that's a great example. And that ties into what Jeff Bezos was talking about. Now, I was asking you, how would you reach out to talk about the Jackson Group? I assume say something positive about your company. Sure. The point he's making is that if you want to respect today's customer, part of the reason you do it is because if that customer has a bad experience, then they could potentially go to their Facebook page or their Twitter account or their Instagram account or their Pinterest account or whatever the case might be and let their followers and their followers letting their followers know about it. And all of a sudden you have this tremendous word of mouth, this tremendous marketing impact because of something that we did wrong. So you might think, oh, it's just one person. Oh, you know, who cares if not respectful with my tone or what I say or how I treat them? But it's not just that one person anymore. It's not just one person will tell 20. It could be one person telling their story to 6,000 people via social media, literally within 24 hours about some horror story with Amazon. So his mindset is understand your customer and respect your customer. And just as a little bit of an aside of what you just described there, I know there's always been the whole adage of a dissatisfied customer will tell X number of people about that encounter, yes. about that negative experience. Just a curiosity, I, I got to assume this is the case, but in the dawn of social media, is it safe to say that that, that number is growing as far as the number of people that will hear about a negative experience uh, compared to what uh, we normally would say in traditional methods? Oh, definitely it's growing, yes. Now, the one-on-one the -on -one telephone face-to-face -face kind of uh, metrics that were used in the past to gauge the word of mouth are, aren't that different. But if you want to talk about number of people hearing about a story, we talked about the Comcast retention call where in literally a period of a week or two, something like four or five million people heard that eight-minute recording. I mean, just the volume uh, and the speed with which the information travels is, is accelerated far beyond what people might have imagined 20 years ago. I got to imagine at some point somebody's going to publish and say that it's no longer, you know, you say tell somebody something negative, you're going to tell seven people something about a negative experience or 10 or 20. It'll be in the hundreds as far as people that truly yes. hear that, that message from you right away. So, all right. Right. Well, what else with Jeff Bezos? Is there anything else, uh, other attributes of his? Right. The last two uh, were, even though we were looking external at the customer, the last two are internal. The third point says strive to create a customer-centric company. He, just like Zappos, just like Chick-fil-A, just like Disney, they spend so much time talking about culture. They feel like the great external experience is really made possible by the great internal culture. So that's his third point. Don't focus so much on the experience outside and teaching and prodding your employees to, to say something or do something or try to create an experience that you forget about nurturing the kind of culture that just makes people want to treat their customers in a great manner. Right. The, the fourth point uh, relates uh, a little bit to what Richard Branson was talking about. He, is he said, you cannot be afraid to apologize. You have to be willing to say, I'm sorry. If you put up that wall, the customers are either going to tell everybody in social media or they're just going to go to the, the competitor across the street or across the URL. So you cannot be afraid to apologize. Issues happen. Mistakes happen. Uh, don't be afraid to apologize. Let it go. Resolve the issue and move on. And if you do it quickly, like we talked about earlier with Richard Branson, you have a much higher percentage of retaining that customer. Great. Well, you know, Ed, we've talked about Jeff Bezos on this show before many times with the example of Amazon just being one of those companies that gets it. I mean, they just, just seems like they really understand that customer service is the number one key. 
And I'll be the first to say, I, I've dealt with Amazon quite a bit. I use them quite a bit for purchasing things. It's not always a 100% perfect experience, but I do feel like the efforts are being made that anytime something does go a little bit off or goes a little wrong, there are tremendous efforts to rectify it and fix it. So at least I feel like yes. that circle is being completed, even if every single order I place maybe doesn't come in 100% accurate or the website doesn't always work 100% of the time. You know, they, they do their best to really resolve and complete that circle and follow up and make sure that we've got the experience we're supposed to get out of it. So it's a, yes. it's a good example. And that all starts from the top. I mean, Jeff Bezos is obviously the one that's kind of managed that culture, set those expectations, and it just has to trickle down from, from there throughout the entire business. It's good. Yes. So we got three, three customer-centric leaders to discuss here, Mark Cuban, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, three people that – have some shared similarities in the way they approach their customer-centric culture, but also some different unique messages that, that we can learn from them on. And I think those are great examples. So I appreciate you bringing these all up, Ed, and talking us through sure. those. Yeah. Here we are at the end of the show. We always like to kind of recap a little bit with our customer service story of the month. This is something that you and I both individually have experienced over the last 30 days since we talked last and just want to be able to share it with one another and kind of especially since uh, we're out there talking and preaching about customer service, we want to make sure we're experiencing it and delivering it ourselves on a daily basis. This is our chance to give a little personal antidotes on what we see. So Ed, what have you got to yes. share with us as far as a customer service story from the last month? Well, well, this story is a little bit different. It's positive, but it's almost like an extra tip that I'm conveying. And this is around Valentine's Day, where I went on to 1-800-Flowers.com, put in an order for my sister, for my mom. And it was interesting when you're going through the web experience. And this is very typical of good websites. Uh, you can look at the options, sort by price. Uh, you note your location. You, you have different options you can uh, review. And, and it made me think, what, what if we cre um, created some questions uh, for brick-and-mortar businesses that uh, were reflective of the way that people on the web do business? Mm -hmm. uh, and what if these typical web practices and structures were actually applied to these brick-and-mortar businesses? So think about this. Think about your last web experience and, and imagine if you could go into a store and those products that were the best price per unit – were somehow marked uh, with an asterisk or something. So you clearly, if you were about price, you clearly saw what they were. It wasn't like going into the grocery store and having to read the small font on every little item to compare a cost per unit. Or maybe it was a grocery stores with, with some kind of a heart-healthy type of insignia like you see in some restaurants. Um, you know, most of the organization of brick and mortar locations is very product driven. Mm -hmm. But what if the stores were more experience driven okay. or price driven sure. or health driven, you know, in terms of how they're organized or how the customer can more easily navigate? I mean, if I'm a low cost buyer, I'm looking for those asterisks or if I'm a health nut, I'm looking for the heart. So there's maybe a separate section of this heart healthy or heart beneficial product or service. If yeah. if I'm into certain colors or brands or the newest and latest of something, then maybe the products are marked that way. So it, it's more of a tip from that experience with the web. If you could look at your storefront, look at your place of business where people are physically walking through, and if you were to try to organize this and, and learn some of the lessons from your web-based brethren, how might your experience be a little bit more tailored, a little bit more unique, uh, a little bit more customer oriented than what it is currently. Yeah, I love that approach. I mean, I'm definitely more of a visual person where I need to have things kind of brought to my attention and highlighted. 
And I'm one of those guys, Ed, that I'll go in the grocery store and sit there and read the cost per unit, cost per pound, and do all that analysis, and do all that analysis between products and uh, to much of the irritant of the rest of my family when we go grocery shopping. It's typically, why, <laughs> it's typically why I don't get to go grocery shopping with my family very often. They typically will go and leave me at home because they know I'm going to drive them crazy with those things. So, um, no, I'm all for that. I, I think any of those kind of indicators is always a good, good thing to, to, to build into a storefront to make that shopping experience more intuitive and easier to follow. Yep. So it's just a matter of instead of being product centric, like the web tries to do with all the options for how you sort and look at products, become a little bit more customer centric in your design. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Good. Well, Ed, I, I kind of told you that with my, my story, it was all of it had to do with the weather and it is kind of two weather related things. I'm going to kind of dovetail one into the other because I think the same message came across in both these encounters. So one, we, uh, you know, of course it happens every year. My air conditioning unit decides it wants to have a little bit of an issue right about the time it gets really cold outside. And, uh, you know, we're on an ongoing annual service plan with our air conditioning unit. So it's never a cost issue for us. It's just a matter of, well, call the guys and they got to come out and take a look. We have a very good, uh, AC air conditioning repair area uh, company we use in town that we've always had great experience with. Well, and, and I don't blame this individual who came out to work on our unit. He was obviously fairly new to the company. He seemed to know his stuff when it came to air conditioning units, but maybe he hadn't quite got the full development of the customer service model yet. But when he showed up, you know, he spent his time downstairs going through trying to find out what was going on with our unit. And finally, this is on a Friday evening. We had to reschedule a couple times because both my schedule and their schedule got thrown off. So Friday evening was when he had to come by like around 4 o'clock or so. It got to be about 7, 7.15. I normally take my family out to dinner on a Friday night. We do our family night out together. So we're kind of waiting, twiddling our thumbs a little bit, thinking, okay, you know, wonder when he's going to get finished. And, you know, every time I would go downstairs, I would keep saying, oh, I'm just about done, just about done. And that was for the last two hours. So we're really wow. just kind of waiting. And I'm trying to be very nice about it and saying, well, listen, my family, we're, we're just hanging out waiting. And as soon as you tell us that you're wrapping up, <laughs> we're going to head out and get our dinner. But, uh, you know, we'll wait for you to be done so that way – we, we can help lock up the house when you leave. It was the constant, you know, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Well, then he finally came upstairs. It's about 730 at this point. He said, well, I'm not able to fi- finish fixing it tonight because there's a part I need. He said, so um, how about I just reschedule for maybe Monday night? I can come by and finish it up. And of course, I'm looking at him. I look at my wife and we're standing in a house that is not cold yet, but it is dropping every little bit throughout oh, the yes. day to where we're down now in the mid 60s. And I know at this rate by the evening, it's going to be down in the low 60s in our house and even get colder. And I just kind of looked at him and said, you do understand that our unit's not working right. And it's extremely cold outside. And you're telling me that we're going to have to wait for two more nights until you can come out and fix it. I said, is there not another option? And he said, well, I could have somebody come out first thing in the morning. I'm like, okay, well, that's an improvement. That's, that's better than, <laughs> that is better than three nights away. That's, you know, down to one. I said, I said, okay. I said, well, is there anything on a quick fix that you could do that can maybe just help the air conditioning work for the rest of the sure. night and then come over and fix it in the morning? He said, you know, actually, yeah, there is something I could probably do with that. Uh, let me go try something. And sure enough, 20 minutes later, he came back and said, okay, well, I've got you enough heat for the weekend. Everything should work fine. And we'll come back on Monday and finish it up and fix it for real. He's a nice guy. He did the right things in the end, and he did a good job with it. 
but it was just the communication style. I think that's where I would have fixed things where you've got to kind of not assume that the client always knows what's going on and you've got to think right. for the client sometimes. And again, my, what should have happened is realizing I've got a family with two younger kids in the house and a house that's already dropping every, every couple hours by another degree. They're not going to be able to sleep here tonight or the next two or three nights. I need to be able to pro- pro- provide options for them and not just go by the routine. Well, we got to order the part and we'll be here till Monday. So we can't fix it till Monday. It was creative problem solving as I think part of a good customer service experience. And we didn't quite have that with this, this encounter in the end, everything worked out fine. He did exactly what we came up with his plan to do and it worked out great, but the customer shouldn't have to be the one feeding that creative problem solving back to the vendor. Exactly. You know, that's kind of right. my you- message from that. You were a very nice customer there, that's for sure, because you, you were kind of doing his job yeah. for him. He was not making a good second impression like we talked about when an issue arose. And yeah. uh, he's just lucky he had you as opposed to somebody who would have just gone off, ranting, raving, profanity-laced, uh, you know, uh, comments to him, uh, you know, he, because he obviously handled it poorly. And I will say the reason I I felt like I was a pretty nice guy about it is because this company has always been so strong on customer service. So that does kind of echo the point about once you build that reputation, it's a little easier to work with clients on problem resolution because they know what kind of company you are. So I think just as much if they had not built up that good customer service reputation for all those years, uh, I probably would be really irate by the point where he's saying he's not able to fix it. So the last little thing I'll just mention really quick, and it's just, I have to come back to my favorite movie theater here in town that I think I always have a little story to share everything about. Um, We, uh, (laughs) my film society that we have in town, we threw a Oscar party the other night for the Oscar ceremony. We had about a hundred people showing up. Yeah. We get together and we watch it on a big screen and kind of fill out our ballots ahead of time and see who got the, the choices right. Well, I wanted to get some popcorn for the group. And I thought, well, you know, the local cinema that we, where we do our film screenings, they, they really do pop really good popcorn. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go and order a bag of popcorn from them. And that's what I'm going to give back to our group and we'll share and use. So I called ahead and said, listen, is there any way I can get a couple bags, big bags of popcorn to use for my party? They said, sure, no problem. Come on by after 1.30. It should be there available. I said, well, is there any particular time I should come by? They said, no, just any time after 1.30 and just let them know and they'll have it ready for you. So Okay. So I show up at the theater, and this is one of probably the coldest days we've had in a really long time around this area. So I'm freezing outside. And if you're waiting outside, there's nobody at the box office, nobody at the front doors. The place is open, but it's just the front doors and the box office are not open yet because I guess it's in between movies, screening times. There are about 10 people standing outside, too, waiting. So when I show up, I say, what's going on? They say, well, we haven't seen anybody yet at the box office or anything else. So I go to the window, kind of peer inside. I don't see anybody. I go look at the front door, still don't see anybody. So I said, okay, well, they must be short-staffed, and maybe they're checking out some of the other uh, stuff going on in the theater rooms. They should be back out here in a minute. Several minutes go by. We're all freezing and huddling close. A couple of them are saying, you know, I'm about ready to leave because it's so cold. Sure. Finally, I go and peer inside the window again, and I look as I strain really hard. I can see at a table back in the back of the lobby room two of the staff sitting there at a table eating I guess their lunch or something. And I kind of knock and they can, they look up at me a little bit and then they kind of look back down to their lunch. 
Oh. And I'm still knocking and I'm trying to give them the motion of I'm here for the popcorn. You know, I don't know how to visually tell them I'm here for popcorn from a distance with hand signals, but I'm trying my best to do it. And they still just kind of like disregard us, like almost like we're not on the clock right now. So we'll get to you when we get back on the clock. Now the group outside has grown to like 12, 14 people and we're all very, very cold. So I started banging on the window just saying, listen, A, I need my popcorn because I got to go. I've got a car running outside with my wife in it waiting to pick me up. B, you got 14 people out here waiting to get inside that are freezing their tail off. Finally, the, the girl comes up there and says, well, we can't let people in because the other movies aren't out yet. I said, well, but can't you at least let them come in the lobby while it's like, in the teens outside here degree wise and wait for the movie to get out. I mean, there's gotta be a way to do this. And you know, she just kind of said, well, we've just been told we're not supposed to let people in until the previous movie gets out. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So at least I got my popcorn, but I felt really bad for the 14, 16 people sitting out there waiting. They finally got to get their tickets. By the time I was leaving, somebody got to the box office, but it's just that rigidity towards the rules that you can't bend even though you've got people completely inconvenienced and uncomfortable, uh, I just never understand. So again, um, both of my stories having to do with the cold, kind of being in the, the winter weather that we are now. Don't leave your customers in the cold either situation. You know, find oh, ways to keep them warm. Hey, isn't that good? I just came up with that yes. right now too. Uh, don't keep them in the cold. Find a way to help them get warm, whatever it may be. And I think uh, that's just a good motto for any group that has to deal with uh, anything with a climate you know, situation or temperature situation at all or anything at all, really. So, well, by the way, was this the same theater who you said now was making everybody go through the same line, whether they yes. wanted uh, just tickets oh. or tickets and food? No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, that is the, the big multiplex in town. Uh, okay. I, 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 I flip flop my complaints about theaters between the big multiplex and the little local mom and pop theater. This was the mom and pop theater that I'm talking about here. Okay. But the, yes, the multiplex is still the one that forces you to go through the concession line to buy your tickets, which causes you to wait in line twice as long as you normally would have to. So, yes. I love complaining about movie theaters. I got plenty of complaints where that came from. (laughs) Well, Ed, I think we're going to wrap up today's episode. We talked about customer-centric leaders, three individuals that really shine when it comes to creating a culture for their organization that focuses on the customer. You gave us a lot of points and examples of why those three people are such great customer-centric leaders. Then we closed out with our uh, thoughts and stories for the month about some customer service experience that hopefully others have can maybe connect to and maybe see where these are opportunities for organizations to get better and stronger and how they provide a good service experience to their customers. So, Ed, we're going to wrap it up. Ed Gagnon from Customer Service Solutions. People can find out more about Ed at www.cssamerica.com. Ed, you still got some blog posts on there and people can sign up to your newsletter on there. Exactly. Weekly tips, blogs, the podcast. We have so many articles that we write for other publications like Ticketing Today. Um, I mean, literally hundreds of of sources of information, uh, great tips or strategies, whatever they're looking for. If they just want to get better and better and better about customer service, culture, the customer experience, CSS America is a great place to go. CSSamerica.com is where you want to go for all that information. And then I'm Alan Jackson with the Jackson Group. You can learn more about our business at thejacksongroup.com, working on employee and customer satisfaction and engagement surveys for a variety of industries. A lot of focus on the healthcare industry these days as that's been kind of our our bedrock industry for many, many years, but also working with uh, other, other institutions and organizations on gauging employee and customer engagement levels. 
So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Ed, thanks a lot for your time as always. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it, Alan. Enjoyed it. Enjoy all the films I'm sure you'll be seeing over the next month too. So yes, no, definitely. We've got, uh, I got plenty more to see and uh, always enjoy the movie time when I get away to them. So, all right. Thanks a lot, everybody. We'll look forward to talking to you next month. Take care. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. 